thank you for having me again. We have to stop meeting this way. So, but um, I'm happy to be here with you. Um, I don't get to come as much as I used to uh, because I have the other church and you have a good staff with Chris and Steve covering 8 and 10.30. So um, I kind of stay to 12.30. And then whenever I get a chance, I come and, and visit with you all. So anyway, what I wanted to say is this. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And Jesus was talking to his disciples. They were ordinary men, about as ordinary as you could get. But Jesus chose them to be his disciples. Jesus invited them. He called out to them saying, follow me. But that wasn't how it was supposed to work during that time. Rabbis didn't go around asking young men to study under them. No rabbi at that time would do such a thing. If a young man wanted to be a rabbi, he would have to ask a rabbi if he could be his student. And the greater the rabbi, the more young men would be seeking to study under him. Jesus had become famous because of his teachings and his miracles. Crowds came from everywhere to hear him and to let their children see him. And I'm sure there were dozens of young men, probably hundreds, who would have gladly put aside whatever they were doing so that they might study with Jesus. Some of those young men would have been really bright highly accomplished. They could have done great things if Jesus had chosen them to be his disciples. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus chose 12 rather ordinary men to be his disciples. You know, in the Gospels, they present them to us as a bit slow, a bit thick-headed, weak of faith, sometimes denying, and sometimes doubting. Does that sound familiar? One even went so far as to betray Jesus to the men who wanted to kill him. But none of that bothered Jesus. He was perfectly satisfied with this little band of disciples that he had. And he told them, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit that would last. You know, we wonder what Jesus was thinking when he chose those very ordinary disciples. His choices seem very odd. And yet the growth of the first century church shows that Jesus chose well, or that he empowered well. These disciples would do great things, not because they were great, but because the one who empowered them was great. And there's an important lesson here. God chooses whom God chooses. 
God empowers whom God empowers. And a quick glance around the typical congregation will show that God has not chosen the brightest and the best. Most godly work is done by ordinary people distinguished by only one thing. They have given God their heart. And that should encourage us. It should also make us hesitant to judge any person's potential. Because only God knows. You know, the star athlete, the valedictorian, they might be too full of themselves to do good God's work. Not necessarily, but possible. Or anybody who's full of themselves may not be right to do God's work. The ordinary person is more likely to be the one that God chooses to transform the world. God chooses whom God chooses. You know, I'd like to let you in on a secret. A little secret. And the secret is this. That Christ has chosen you. God has a plan for your life and has chosen you to carry out that plan. God's plan for your life is very important. His plan might not cause your name to go down in history. It might not make you rich, but God's plan for you is important. He has work for you to do that no one else can do. And if you don't do it, it will languish undone. I can't tell you what God's plan for you in life is, and it's quite possible that you don't have a clue. But the plan is there. God has put it there. But pray that God might reveal that plan to you and that you might have the faith to pursue it. Pray that, empowered by God, you might accomplish what he has created you to do. I'm going to quote a few scripture verses, and as I do, listen to them as if God is speaking to you. Speaking to you directly. Speaking to you personally. And the first scripture is from Deuteronomy. After he had come down from Mount Sinai, Moses spoke these words to the people of Israel. He said, You are a holy people to God, and God has chosen you for his own possession. Now listen to that verse again, as if God is speaking those words to you. But we're going to do some interaction today. So what I want you to do is say your name, and then we'll do, we'll do the scripture. So say your name. You are a holy person to God. God has chosen you for his own possession. And that's true. That's true. Every person here today is a holy person to God. Every one of you. You are a holy person to God. Let me say that one more time. Listen carefully. Here it is. 
You are a holy person to God. God has chosen you for his own possession. Now you might be out there, out there sitting thinking, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a holy person. I'm totally unworthy. If that's how you're feeling right now, listen carefully. You are a holy person to God. Not because you're wonderful, but because God is wonderful. And what does that mean? What does it mean that you are holy? In the Bible, to be holy means to be set aside for a godly purpose. The Sabbath day was holy because God set it aside as a day of rest and worship. The tabernacle and temple, they were holy because God sent them apart for worship. The priest and the Levites were holy because God designated them for his service. You are a holy person to God, and God has chosen you for his own possession. God has chosen you to render a holy service. Pray about that. Pray that God will help you live up to the task for which he has created you. And just in case that scripture verse brought you to heights where you feel uncomfortable, I'm going to read another verse that will let you down a notch or two. In the first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul was talking to the Christians in Corinth about their calling. What God had called them to be and do. He said, not many are wise, not many are mighty, and not many are noble. Does that bring you down a little? Does it make you feel more comfortable? Are you saying, that's me, I'm not wise, I'm not mighty, I'm not noble, I'm just an ordinary person, really ordinary. Why would God call me to do anything important? But I want you to listen carefully because Paul goes on to say this. But God chose the foolish things of the world that he might put to shame those who are wise. God chose the weak things of the world that he might put to shame the things that are strong. And God chose the lowly things of the world that he might bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should boast before God. So if you feel too ordinary to be important to God, think again. Because God specializes in getting his work done through ordinary people. Unlikely people. And if you don't believe that, just read through the stories of the Bible and you'll see it over and over and over again. God shows people like Jacob, who was a cheater. God shows Joseph, who was a really snotty kid. God shows Moses, who begged God to find somebody else. God shows Peter, who denied him three times. And God shows Paul, who at that time was persecuting Christians. And the list goes on and on. So if you think you're unlike, an unlikely candidate for godly work, 
I want you to think again. You know why? Because God has his eye and his heart on you. God has a purpose for your life, a godly purpose. He has important work for you to do. Pray about it and seek each day to walk in harmony with God's will. I'm going to quote one more verse. This time, it's Jesus speaking. Jesus was, was talking to his disciples, and he, he's talking to you also. Because we're his disciples, right? We have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. So anything he said to his disciples, he's telling us. He's saying the same thing to us. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And appoint you that you should go and bear fruit. This is what Jesus tells us. God appointed us to bear fruit. Lasting fruit. What kind of fruit? Was Jesus talking about winning new converts? No. Was he talking about a new church building? No. Was he talking about memorizing Bible verses? No. Jesus says, I command these things to you that you may love one another. So the fruit that Jesus calls us to bear is love for one another. Can we do that? Can we love one another? You know, the better you get acquainted with some of the people gathered here today, you may find that you don't like some of them very well. How can Jesus expect us to love people that we don't like? How can that happen? Well, let me tell you how. The word that Jesus used for love is the Greek word agape. And agape love has nothing to do with warm, fuzzy feelings. Agape love is a love in action. Agape love is acting in kind and generous ways, whether we like the other person or not. We can do that, right? That's, like, easy to do, right? We can be kind and generous regardless of how we feel about the other person. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God. But then he said that a second commandment is almost as important. And that commandment is that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And yesterday during the men's breakfast, we, we, we talked about the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, for those of you who remember it, there was a lawyer that stood up and said to Jesus, okay, so who's my neighbor? That was his question. Who's my neighbor? And so that's when Jesus started his parable about the Good Samaritan. Okay. But to, to know why he did that was that the, the Jews, they didn't like the Samaritans at all. And so this lawyer was trying to say, okay, in his heart, he was saying, okay, I can be a neighbor to all these people except for this one here. Because even in the end of that parable, Jesus asks him, so who 
had mercy. Who had the most mercy? Mercy. You remember there was a priest, a Levite, and then the Good Samaritan, right? So he asked the lawyer, who had the most mercy? And that lawyer couldn't even say the Samaritan. He said that person was the one. And so what, what did Jesus say? Always a step ahead. He says, okay, well then you do the same and you will find your way to heaven. You do the same. It was interesting throughout that, that parable that it was question. Uh, the lawyer would give the question and Jesus would answer with a question and they'd be back and forth. That was the rabbinical way. But in the end, Jesus says, okay, if this is the case, then you do the same. And he left it at that. So he tells us to love one another. God, I'm suggesting that this will not be easy because God rarely makes things easy. But if we love God and neighbor, God will bring godly fruit from our lives. And loving one another is easy when things are going well, right? Very easy. When people are doing what we want. But loving one another is hard when things are not going well. When people are doing things that hurt us and that make us miserable. But when Jesus calls us to love one another, as he has loved us, he is calling us to love one another through thick and thin, through good and bad. He's calling us to love the other person when that person has hurt us and done us injury. And he's even calling us to love that other person when you're a gator or whatever the FSU is. <laughs> what, what is FSU? Seminole. Yeah. Or, in our case, Lori and I case, we're, we're baseball fans, so I'm a New York Met fan, she's a New York Yankee fan. So through thick and thin, you love one another. <laughs> okay, Boston over there. But, you know what I couldn't understand when I came down south? This animosity between um, different people that went to different colleges and liked different football, football teams. I couldn't understand that um, because where I come from, we might have different teams, but we still get along, and if the other team is doing well, we root for them, but through thick and thin. <laughs> so when somebody does us injury, it almost seems impossible, doesn't it, to love them. It's almost impossible to love people who hurt us who have caused us injury. But the only way we can do that is by the grace of God. That's the only way. Only by the grace of God. You know, society calls us to hurt those who hurt us. To injure those who have injured us. But Jesus calls us to love one another as he has loved us. And he has loved us when we hurt him. He has loved us when we've injured him. Jesus has loved us through thick and thin, no matter what we do. 
you might say, I can't do that. I can't love someone who hurts me. And you'd be right. You can't love people who hurt you except by the grace of God. That's the only way. It's God's grace, after all, that makes it possible for God to love us. Even when we hurt him, even when we break his heart. And it's God's grace that, that makes it possible for us to love the other person through thick and thin. Husband and wives, you know what I'm talking about, right? It takes a miracle to do that. But you know what? Miracles are God's business. So when we feel angry and vindictive, we need to pray for that miracle. We need to pray for God's grace so that we can do what's not natural, that we might love one another through thick and thin. If we are connected to God through Jesus, the impossible becomes possible. But let me clarify something. You know, when Jesus calls us to love one another, he's not calling us to become a doormat, to become an enabler of unacceptable behavior. If a husband is abusing a wife, Jesus doesn't expect her to continue to take that abuse. She might need to leave, but she can continue to pray for the man who's hurt her. She might even need to call the police. And that's compatible with acting in love. Because in the book of Revelation, Jesus said that he chastens those whom he loves. So when we chasten an abuser, we are loving as Jesus loves. Let me read these words by Philip Brooks. He was a great preacher from another century. He says, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then doing then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself, at the richness of life, which has come to you by the grace of God. So here's the key to all things. Jesus is connected to the Father and calls us to be connected to Jesus so that we can also be connected to the Father. And Jesus says, remain in my love, abide in my love. And if we will do that, two things will happen. Jesus will fill us with joy, and Jesus will help us to love one another so others can experience that same joy. So let us love one another as he has loved us. Amen.